welcome to Fast Talk, the Velo News podcast and everything you need to know to ride like a pro. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another episode of Fast Talk. This is a special, super special episode. Uh, This is actually a live recording episode of Trevor and I chatting with the internet, uh, which is always a dangerous proposition. But but we did a Facebook Live uh, on Friday morning. Uh, We we hope you caught it. And if you didn't, well, you can hear it right now. Uh, We're going to be doing these every single time we do a... We do a batch of Fast Talk recordings all at once, so the next one will be sometime in August after the Tour de France. Uh, we definitely recommend that you keep an eye out for those and send in your questions. This is an opportunity to send in questions to Trevor and I, mostly Trevor, uh, and we will answer them as best we can. So anyway. As we move ahead, I do need to give one quick qualifier. Whenever we do a full podcast for you, we do a, a lot of research leading into it, and as you all know, I probably hide a little too much behind research studies, but that's the way I am. Um, We also bring in experts to give other opinions. So we really want to give you all sides of the science, all sides of of the the question, and not just my opinion. So just understand that today you're you're really just getting my opinion off the cuff, which uh, as much as I would love to believe it's it's all accurate, um, isn't as high quality as what you're going to get in our normal podcast. Correct. <laughs> it's nice. it's not that we're lying to you. It's that we don't have a whole bunch of studies and things in front of us to uh, to be extra super special informed. However, Trevor is an expert, no question about that. Uh, and so I think the answers are still valuable. We will say that the audio quality in the in this is going to be slightly lower because we were recording it uh, as a live Facebook thing and just sort of pointed the mics at ourselves and hoped uh so we were not paying attention to the audio quality we were whacking the table a whole lot so you'll probably hear some of that uh we do apologize for the degradation in audio quality however it's still uh totally listenable and we hope you enjoy all right Uh, we're starting to get some questions in here so kevin uh how well will the pit bull do in the tour de france this year not exactly a training questions a training question but uh i'll try to answer it anyway um, so I chatted with him quite a lot at the Tour de France, or sorry, at the at the Tour California, and he seemed pretty confident. I think that, you know, Tulansky knows that uh, anything inside the top ten is a pretty good ride for him. Anything inside the top five would be an amazing ride for him, and I think that's basically what he's shooting for. I would expect to see him somewhere in that sort of like fourth to twelfth range. I know that that's not really a great answer, but. That's okay. that's where I expect to see him if he has a good a good ride. So heart rate or power <clears throat> or both. Uh, so actually, that's a little bit timely. We just sent an issue to press yesterday, and that was a big part of what my article was about in yeah. that that uh, piece. So the quick answer to that: uh, a lot of you who have been following our our podcast know that I am a a big fan of heart rate. Um, I, I think you need both. Uh, to get the best data, but I will always say if you can only have a power meter or only have a heart rate strap, um, have a heart rate strap. Uh, quick explanation, uh, when you look at metrics, there are what are called external metrics and internal metrics. So the internal metrics measure what's going on with your body, with your physiology. 
external is just here's the the end result of the work that you are doing which is power or speed uh, heart rate is an internal metric and as a coach I'm always thinking about training so I want to see what's going on internally uh, which is what heart rate shows you however the a lot of the training software now is getting very sophisticated and has found a way, and this is what my article was about, of taking that, that external measure power and actually showing what's going on with your physiology. And the way they did that is you have both a, you, you have a, what's called an anaerobic threshold and you can measure it both with power and heart rate. So that gives you a way of translating uh, internal metrics using a, an external tool, if that makes sense. Here's an interesting question. Uh, from Daniel Elston, what's best for fitness? 70 miles once a week or 10 miles every night? Oh boy. And you can extrapolate that out, I guess, to like 500 miles once a week and a normal ride every day. So I think the answer to that is what is the, the purpose of the workouts and what are you trying to accomplish? If you're asking about just, if you're saying, they're all going to be at the same pace. So let's say you're going to do all of them at 85% uh, of your threshold, which a lot, what a lot of people call around zone two. Um, if you're going to do them all at that pace and they're all going to be steady and none of them are going to involve interval work, uh, which is better, the, the 70 mile ride or the, the seven 10 mile rides, I can say absolutely the seven mile, 70 mile ride. There are benefits you get from that long ride. You can't get any other way. Um, whole bunch of reasons why one of the the quickest ones uh to explain is we have when you go out for a long ride we have this effect where actually even your slow twitch muscle fibers start fatiguing and towards an end of a long ride you start actually recruiting um your fast twitch fibers but forcing them to work aerobically uh, there aren't very many other ways of doing that but it means that at the end of that long ride that last hour or so say um, you're actually getting these huge training gains in your fast twitch fibers that are very hard to get any other way. If you're just doing 10 miles every day and you're doing them relatively slow, um, the other thing you have is our aerobic systems are, are very slow to uh, get up to speed. So really, since this is an aerobic sport, that first 15 minutes of a workout is kind of wasted time. So if you're just doing 10 miles every day, a big portion of each ride is wasted time. But what I will say is if you only can do an hour every day or half an hour every day, make sure some of those days you're doing some intensity. So you're, you're maximizing that time. Not every day, but some of those days. Uh, from Eduardo, we actually, uh, we covered cramping in a, a big podcast this week. That will be out sometime over the summer uh, in a lot of depth. However, Eduardo asked, please tell the reasons or causes of cramps in the thighs and calf, especially after a fast and long speed interval. So maybe let's just do a really quick, because we learned a lot doing our cramping podcast. Let's do a really quick uh, cramping rundown. What, what exactly causes it, first of all? Okay. So the very, very short version is there are two theories behind cramping. One is the one that most people know is that it's dehydration and electrolytes. Uh, the other theory that I said this 50 times last night and I still have to look at the board. Um, and no, actually we erased that and put something else up. Um, but there is, the, the other one is a basically neuromuscular fatigue. 
Um, the research now is getting pretty clear on this that no it's not electrolytes it's not dehydration there there has been zero proof of that they have tried to test it um, and when they have tested it you see no electrolyte imbalance that's that's not the problem nor does electrolyte imbalance explain the physiology if you had electrolyte imbalance you would be having cramping throughout your body you would be having all sorts of neurological issues yet cramping only happens generally in specific muscles um, so really it's that neuromuscular fatigue um, that's causing the cramping. Um, there are a variety of factors that can contribute to that. Uh, we talked about bike position. Uh, the biggest one is just simply cramping generally happens in races when you're going hard and often at the beginning of the season because your muscles aren't used to that sort of intensity for that long. Uh, the muscles get tired and that's when a cramp happens. There you go. It's mostly train harder, unfortunately. Yep. We wish we could just tell you to do something uh, easy, you know, just take some salt tabs or something like that, but that's not actually the case. Uh, pickle juice works, though. Yes, For but some reason, not because of the works, sodium. But not, yeah, not because of what, uh, not because of the sodium in it, but it does work. Yep. It's been proven to work. Uh, Logan Von Bokel just joined. Hi, Logan. Hey, Logan. We miss you. We miss you, Logan. Uh, <laughs> from Ruben, my daughter is 15 years old. What kind of training do you recommend? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with this one, which is basically please do uh, fun training. If your yes. daughter's 15 years old, uh, everything about a bicycle should be as fun as possible. That would be my recommendation. I've seen way too many juniors go crazy with the training uh, and and essentially burn out uh, because they they fall out of love with the bike. That said, there have been uh, some exceptions to that. Uh, Ellen Noble, I know, was was very was training quite hard as, as a young woman and obviously is, is continuing to ride and race at, at, the, at the highest levels. That said, yeah, keep it fun. Any other recommendations, Trevor? That is my big one. There's actually a, a program that's, that's <clears throat> circulating. It's big up in Canada. It's getting down to the U.S. called the Long-Term Athlete Development Program. It was uh, created by the uh, International Olympic Committee, really looking at how do you take uh, athletes from young kids to Olympic champions. And I thought when I, I read it for the first time, they were gonna say, yeah, you need to be killing them at, at eight years old. It was the exact opposite. It said that uh, to produce Olympians, they really need to be having fun at those young ages, that actually it's counterproductive to be driving them uh, to really perform at, at a young age. 15 is old enough that she can be competing um, and doing some training and doing some structured training, but it shouldn't be too regimented um, And there should be a lot of enjoyment in that. So actually my niece is 15. I've been helping her out a bit She is um, actually I think she just did her first race. I have to ask my brother awesome um, But we have her do a little bit of hard work. So we have her do some team time trials with other kids her own age uh, But for the most part we try to keep it fun and enjoyable and not drive her too hard Aaron Lee says, cool shirt, Kaylee. Thank you. I like it very much. Uh, did you watch the hammer race? I actually, so it's on the other screen of watch my laptop right, right here. <laughs> it's still going. Um, or maybe it's just finished. I don't know. We, we had to turn it off before the end. I think it was kind of cool, actually. Uh, a new way to look at bike racing. Points races are super hard. I, I did some points races on the track back in my racing days, and they're always incredibly, incredibly hard. So a points race, road race, 
as expected, blew up pretty quickly and, and was pretty good racing. So uh, let's go back to training. So to get nutrition. Iron Man. I, we, I don't know anything about triathlon. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> recommendations on how to get nutrition on the bike correct to run a good marathon during an Iron Man. I mean, that, there, there, wow, there are probably some sort of, there are probably some, uh, some standby nutritional things that he can do, right? Yeah, that's a good question. So that's one of those ones I would love to go back and fully research because that, that's a highly specific question. Um, and it's also whether you're, you're doing the Ironman in the, the heat or not. Um, but yeah, there, there's the big issue of you don't want to be bonking in the run. <clears throat> And it is easier to eat and drink on the bike than it is when you are running. Um, so I would probably opt during the bike ride to focus a little more on the nutrition, make sure you're, you're fully hydrating, making sure you're getting enough calories into your system, and also being aware of that this is a long race. And by the time you get to the run, your GI system is going to be shutting down. Um, so I'd be focusing much more on the, the simple foods, the simple sugars, especially as you get towards the end of the bike ride. Maybe when you're first on the bike, as long as you're not nauseous from the swimming, uh, you can do a little more solid food like your bars or your, your rice cakes or whether you're buying or, or, or making your own. Uh, but towards the end, focusing more on uh, the blocks or you know, I'm not a big fan of gels, but gels or candy um, and just getting a lot of simple sugars into your system without so much that you're going to cause yourself to be able to feel bloated because you don't want to be bloated running. Question from CJ. Hey guys, is there any way to get ready for something like the Belgian waffle ride on limited training time, 10 hours a week? This is sort of the magical question, isn't it? We, we get asked, how, how do I get ready for big events on, you know, as a working stiff? And essentially, this is the same thing that I have been dealing with for, for quite a long time now. What is the ba ba Belgian the waffle ride? The Belgian waffle ride is a big old ride uh, in Southern California. I don't remember exactly how long it is, but it is many, many hours on the bike. We're talking six, seven, eight hours on the bike. Okay. Uh, lots of climbing, some dirt, stuff like that. Big hard ride. Uh, before I answer it, as somebody who has very limited time, what are, what are your wisdoms? I'll well, give you so, mine. Yeah, we, we have discussed this kind of thing before, um, and my recommendation, and, and I've definitely heard the same thing from Trevor, is to try to work in, uh, even if you only have 10 hours a week, if you can you know, negotiate with your significant other and your children or whatever uh, and get one big ride a week, or even one big ride every two weeks, uh, that's going to do you a load of good right. coming into a big, big, big event. And the rest of the time, you could be doing your, your hour and a half long, you know, pretty hard ride. Uh, but as long as you can get the occasional four and a half, five hour ride, then then you're going to be all right. I mean, I'm, so I trained for Leadville, which for me was about seven hours uh, with basically like three long rides after the tour de france uh and the rest was just i was literally i was covering the tour riding for 90 minutes at a time in the morning before the stages uh maybe three times a week and it's still because i forced my body to figure out what it was like to do those long rides uh just in time had a had a decent ride at leadville so to add to that so let's say this ride takes you eight hours um the first four hours are going to be relatively manageable it's those final four <laughs> hours where you're really going to be struggling um 
so first point, as Kaylee's saying, if all you do is train an hour a day and your longest ride is two hours coming in, you're going to be in big trouble. You have to find some time to get some longer rides, not necessarily eight, nine hour rides because it takes a long time to recover from those. Um, so four or five hours is going to be fine. Uh, the only things I, I would add to what Kaylee said is try to do those long rides in a, already a little fatigued. So you're simulating more of those final four hours. And ways you can do that, um, once or twice, have a weekend where you do two long rides back to back. So the first one you'll be fresh. The next day you're gonna wake up tired and get on the bike and try to do another four or five hours. If you don't have the time for two long rides on the weekend, um, maybe do, if you, let's say you're doing a long ride on, on Saturday, do some hard intervals Friday afternoon so that your legs are again fatigued and when you get on that bike Saturday, you're tired and then try to force out five hours and get your body used to that. That's kind of the only thing you can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, if, if you're just doing hour long rides, you're gonna be in big trouble. So yep. yeah, you gotta sneak in where you can, a couple big long rides and then you'll be all right. Uh, we have lots more questions here. Uh, would a heart rate monitor that can pick up arrhythmias while racing and training be something you recommend for all athletes that might be a better question for a doctor uh however i have a i have actually a good friend owen who just went through some arrhythmia issues uh, and his was was definitely picked up by he noticed it on a heart rate monitor when he was when he was riding and racing uh because basically he would for him he would crest a hill go down the hill and his heart rate would just stay pegged it would just stay up up high um i think it was a tachycardia and, and that was a good way to, you know, it was an indicator that something was wrong. And if he hadn't had a heart rate monitor on, he might have felt it, but he may not have as well. And um, he is now, you know, he's had surgery and he's been fixed. And that comes down to the fact that he was wearing a heart rate monitor. So, you know, my, my purely non-medical opinion is that, yeah, maybe wearing a heart rate monitor for anybody concerned about heart health is probably not the worst thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I'm going to say is if you are concerned that you might have some heart issues, the first thing to do is talk to a doctor. You don't want to self-diagnose. Um, and I'll tell you a quick story. So many years ago, um, when I was uh, still in school, I actually uh, took on a job for at, at our school for about a, a year or two helping in our labs. We tested all the firefighters in, in Colorado to certify them to continue um, firefighting and one of them was hooking them up to an EKG and, and, and watching their their heart rhythms first firefighter we hooked up I was the the person at the the station or my first day uh, watching him um, and guiding him through it and I'm looking at his rhythms and thinking oh my god this guy's about to die like we have to call an ambulance um, and was seeing all sorts of scary things so didn't want to show him that, so I go and get our doctor who, who's in charge of all this saying, you need to come and look at this right now. And he takes a look at it, doesn't seem all, all that phase, asks the guy a couple questions, says, you're good to go, get out of here. Um, you need that, you, you can't self-diagnose that stuff. You need that doctor who is very experienced looking at these different arrhythmias to be the one to say, yes, there's an issue here, or no, don't worry about this. Um, I have a couple arrhythmias that look really scary on a chart, and they, they aren't at all. They're actually something that are very common uh, to elite athletes that are due to just a high level of fitness. <laughs> Don't mind me, I was blowing my nose. Uh, <laughs> we have another good question from Chris Young. Uh, other than mental relief, what physical benefits are there to taking an extended break from training? 
and how long is too long? Oh, no, there's a good question. Are we talking in the, uh, whether we're talking in the middle of the season or at the, the end of the season? Let's assume off season. Uh, so off season, you can take quite a long break, and, and I, I do recommend at least two, three weeks where you're pretty much off the bike. Um, we need that. Our bodies need the reset. We need the mental reset. Um, and no, it's not going to put you behind for the next season. You will be slow when you get back on the bike. Uh, one of the arguments I've always made is your your base adaptation. I'm going to really simplify this. Your base adaptations and your high end adaptations are very, very different. Uh, one is more structural, one is more biochemical. I actually like the long break to clear out all those biochemical changes so that you can then really focus on getting back to structural training. You're just going to be slower. Um, in the middle of the season, um, it depends on how fatigued you are, and sometimes you don't know how fatigued you are. But I can't tell you how often I have athletes in March who take a week off to go travel with their family or even 10 days off and are terrified saying, I'm gonna lose all my fitness. Uh, certainly when they come back and they get on the bike, um, they're a little rusty. But after a couple of days of, of being back on the bike and getting used to it, they're actually stronger because <coughs> they've had a chance to rest. Uh, golden rule is it's about four to five days before you start seeing any sort of decline in your form. Um, if you do some hard training before you take that time off, you're going to have three, four days of adapting. Then you've got that four days before you start detraining. So you can be a week to 10 days without any negative consequences, and you're coming back fresher. Uh, yeah, we've seen sort of we've seen evidence of mid-season breaks actually work really working really well for pros as well. Uh, accidentally, um, I think uh, you know guys basically breaking collarbones halfway through a classic season and then they you know they, they're forced to take a week off they get back in the trainer uh and they actually come back stronger okay. and better than they were beforehand um with it's my not, it's not unheard of with my higher level athletes i quite intentionally build in at least one or two weeks through the season where i tell them hang up the bike go have some fun eat bad food uh, you're going to be better off for it uh you guys keep sending in your questions here what do we got? Joseph, if you don't have WKO to track your fitness freshness and other metrics, what would you use to track recovery, fitness, etc.? Uh, well, that's a good question. If uh, you, you should, in this day and age, um, if you have a power meter and a heart rate monitor, you want to use some sort of software to, to track it. Otherwise, why do you have the tools? You, you do want to see that data. Um, and it's a good idea to store it somewhere. Um, there, there's plenty of online tools that are fairly cheap that you can you register for um, and, and get your data up. Um, you know, I personally use Training Peaks, but there's Zert, there's uh, Golden Cheetah, there, there's a lot of different tools out there. Um, there's even tools inside Strava, actually, if you have a pro account. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of tracking recovery, um, and you, you want to be old school, um, Joe Friel developed a really great system um, several decades ago of giving yourself scores. And, and you can look this up. You can find it on the web. Uh, but basically, every morning you get up, what, you can look at your resting heart rate. You can look at your weight. And you give yourself a score of 1 to 7 on soreness, on your fatigue level, on your, mo on your mood. Um, and you what he in his system you give yourself warnings if your your fatigue is too high you get a warning if your soreness is too high you get a warning and basically if you get 
three warnings, it means you're tired, don't get on the bike today. If you get one or two, I think it was, uh, watch it. I can't remember exactly how he did it. I've modified it a bit for my athletes, but look it up. It's a really good, just basic system if you don't want to use a ton of software. Why do you think America does not have anyone that is a contender in the classics right now? Again, not a training question. Not a training question, but we'll take it anyway. Uh, because it's more, more up my alley. <laughs> um, that is a good question. You know, I think we would. Uh, if if Taylor Finney hadn't had his, his accident, I think that he would be a contender right now. And I think that, you know, if he if he ever truly returns to 100%, we'll see Taylor back at the, the pointy end of those races. Um, Honestly, there's not a whole lot of really hard one-day racing in America. No. Uh, and we have this sort of culture of GC riders. Uh, and I don't know if that's Mr. Armstrong's doing or Mr. LeMond's doing. I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I think that would be tough to actually put a finger on. But, uh, yeah, for, for whatever reason, really good Americans turn into GC riders. We also tend to produce a lot of really good time trialists, and time trialists tend to also be if they're the right size and weight, very good GC riders. And so I think that, uh, I think that, that is essentially why, why we don't have too many, too many classics guys. We don't have any good classics races in, in America. That's, that's the big one is the big one day races in this country, uh, have largely disappeared. Yeah. Only so, one I can think of is Reading, um, yep. in September there, there has definitely been a change. 10 years ago, we had a lot more big, hard, long races that were 120 uh, miles. Um, you just don't really see those anymore. We've become much more of a crit culture, and you can't be a crit <coughs> rider and then go do a, a 200-plus kilometer uh, uh, one-day race. No. <laughs> uh, guys, we need your training questions. We can't, ask, we can't answer questions that are not asked. So shoot them in when you get a chance. Uh, we have some from back. Are you comfortable with this, uh, with this one right here? Could you talk about coming back from injury in my case? Sciatica. Let me just talk about coming back, back, coming back from injury in general. Well, things to do, things not to do coming back from an injury that has you off the bike. Sounds like this is for an extended period of time, so, you know, months. Uh, things to do, things not to do coming back from an injury where you've been off the bike for months. Uh, so if you've been off for months, you really have to treat it as this is the start of your season and, and, get, and, and work on bringing your fitness back. Um, it's a question whether you, you want to try racing in the next month or two. Um, if you're really just looking at the long term, I would say you just need to get back to base training um, and really focus on, since it's, it's already June, um, maybe doing a, a race or two at the end of the season, but focusing on racing the, the following season. Um, if you do want to race a bit this year, yeah, you can uh, do some high-intensity training and have a little bit of fun, but you're certainly not going to be at your best, and you're probably not going to last... Whenever I have an athlete who has, has zero base training and we have to build them quickly and we do a ton of top end, they can be strong for a short period of time, but it, it is a short period of time uh, before they start getting fatigued and, and, and pushing burnout. Uh, in terms of I'm, I'm dealing with a, a back problem myself, 
make sure you are doing your exercises make sure you are doing your core work you should be doing more off the bike stuff to uh, to continue the healing um, and prevent this in the future I don't know if that answers the question it's a, it's a big question go slow don't go crazy that's pretty much the yeah <laughs> don't expect yourself to be back to your top form in a month or, yep. or even frankly this year yep uh, here's actually, so here's an interesting one. Uh, what kind of rider should I aim to be if I'm going to represent my team in the Hammer Series? So uh, if, I don't know if any of you guys watched the Hammer Series this morning. It was, it was streaming live on YouTube and Facebook and elsewhere and, and put on by Velon. And it's sort of a new style of racing where it's three days. And the first day is a points race climbing circuit. And the second day is a points race sprint circuit. So today was the climbing stage. Um, the interesting thing to me is that this looked like a very, very fast amateur race. It just, like, exploded. It just exploded almost immediately. Uh, and it was just kind of this front group sprinting for points. And um, like I said, it looked, it looked like a, a Cat 3 race plus, you know, 100 watts at threshold, basically. So that's actually kind of an interesting question because training for the Hammer Series, I think, is probably pretty similar to training for your average amateur race, which well, kind of requires you to be a more of an all-arounder than... How uh, long is it? It's not that long. It's like It was like 100-something K today. Okay. It's I like, mean, it almost sounds like a, a crit. Kind like of. Climbing. It's, it's a circuit race. So it's, 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 uh, today was, was a, it's like a 15K circuit with like two big climbs with the Carberg in it from, uh, from the Classics. So it's almost a Carmenese. Basically, yeah. So yeah, training for that kind of event is tricky because you do, it's, it's a sprint day and a climbing day and you, you have to be a bit of everything. Uh, and that's much like amateur racing, which requires you to be sort of a bit of everything. Yeah, the other thing I would focus on with that is your warm up for the race. Um, in a, a long road race, you don't necessarily have to do much of a warm up because you're gonna get it at the beginning of the race. It sounds like this exploded almost immediately. So you need to treat it like a crit where you need to be ready off the line to go hard. Um, so a longer warm-up would be important. And then, like Kaylee said, it sounds like you, you need to have all your assets. You, you need to have both a, a decent sprint, but that ability to get over the climb. And you still need to have some decent endurance for it because it's, it's not 30 minutes. You, even at 100K, we're talking two and a half, three hours. So it, it's a bit of an all-around. Whoops. Okay. My brother just called me <laughs> on my phone, which we're using to do this. Um, do you believe in making the training harder than the race? Is it too dangerous to do because of burnout? This is from Joseph. <laughs> um, not every training session, but yes, I do believe... Uh, you know, even going back to what we were talking about with cramping, a lot of cramping is due to the fact that people... Uh, their, their bodies just aren't prepared for the races. Um, so you do need to have some really hard training uh, that, that beats you up so when you get into the race, it's not a whole new experience. Um, I frankly find racing to be a great way to do that. So personally, uh, early season when I'm trying to get ready, I'll, I'll do some races that I consider training races and then actually add some time or even a little bit of interval work afterwards just to, to really hit my system. Uh, but that's not something you want to do a lot of, and it's certainly not something you want to be doing in January. Uh, to me, that's some early season stuff uh, to bring your, your legs around. And then when you're trying to peak, 
um, no, you don't want to be beating yourself up that badly. You want to make sure you have fresh legs for the, the races. Jason asks, I have a race every other weekend for the next six weeks. What intervals should I be doing? That's a very big question. Uh, very hard question too to, to answer. Um, you do need, so it sounds like you're right at the, the peak of your season, I'm assuming. Uh, you're in the races you really want to be performing in. And so there does need to be some race specificity to those intervals. So, for example, if they're all time trials, you, you shouldn't be out doing sprint work. Um, if they're road races, crits, uh, that, that's a big factor. So you need to look at those races, um, see what are the, the critical factors in the race. Is there a, a short climb that's going to decide the race? Is it all about being steady? And make sure you're doing some interval work uh, that, that hits the right system. So again, if you have a, a, let's say a short climb, doing some VO2 work, doing some Tabata type work, work like 4020s or 2010s, where you're doing 20 seconds all out, 10 second rest, 20 second all out, 10 second rest, and do that for five, six minutes. Um, if you're more time trial focused, uh, making sure you're keeping up some threshold work. If it has big climbs in it, making sure you're getting some, some climbing work in. Um, other thing is just also making sure that you are six weeks is a, is a long time that you're not uh, burning yourself out during that time that you get some rest when you need it um, that you on, on those weeks when you're not racing still get some quality training um, but uh, lost my train of thought of where I was going <laughs> with that I do apologize um, also understanding that you can't make major adaptations right in the middle of a, of a racing block. So this is really about fine-tuning form um, and also maintaining what you've already built. So don't look for, for major, major improvements in power. Uh, this guy's asking us to dance. No. Oh, asked earlier, how do you, how do you learn to dance like Contador? Kid mm. Contador dance. I didn't know Contador could dance. I, I read something, but he was, didn't he do ballroom when he was a teenager? I, I don't know. I guess go to ballroom class. Yes. <laughs> you could dance like Contador. Uh, <laughs> how many times did the Batmobile catch the Fiat? Outside of our wheelhouse. Sorry. Not not, not too sure on that one. Um, <clears throat> here's a very specific question. Mm -hmm. How would you structure your recovery between two large events, 11 days apart? The first is 150 miles, 14,000 feet of elevation, Ooh. and not a race. So that's, that's a big old day, but not a race. Second is 110 miles, 8,500 feet of climbing, and a race, but only to the top of the climb, 65 miles in. Okay. Uh, when you are doing something that long with that much climbing, it is going to have an impact on you. We have rides like that in Colorado, and Kelly is going away to blow his nose. Um, I would call. There is a plague going through the offices here. Uh, we have those types of rides here in Colorado, and I love them, and I do them. Um, but I know that for the next week after that, it is going to have an impact on me. So you need to make sure after you do that first one, you get some good rest. And it, it is a balancing act. So I could say, take a week off, fully recover, but then you're gonna be really flat at the end of that week and you might not bring your legs around. 
So I would say after the first one, take a day or two off the bike, get some rest, then get back on the bike, but have a few days of riding easy, short and easy until you feel like your legs are coming back and then get back to regular training. Um, probably right in the middle somewhere between the two events when you feel like your your legs are mostly recovered but you're not really close to the next event that's where you want to get some good quality work um, and then taper down for the next event um, over a couple days but the, the the biggest advice here is it's a balancing act if you don't get enough recovery you will be still smoked by that next race and you're not gonna be able to participate if you get too much recovery your, your body's going to shut down and you might not be able to bring it back up. So you just have to listen to yourself day to day. When I'm working with my athletes and we have a situation like this, this is where I say you can't plan out the days ahead of time. You have to just every day listen to what your body's telling you and adjust and do what the body says it needs. And, and push it, but don't push it too much. There you go. Good answer, Trevor. Thank you. Top. Every once in a while I get one. <laughs> Uh, we have a bunch more questions. Um, uh, I do believe that he meant, how do I learn to dance on the pedals like Contador? Oh, good one. Core work. Probably right. <laughs> Core work. Contador is actually an interesting character. Like He stands way more than everybody else, and somehow he's very efficient doing it. Was it you that were telling me the story about? Or was it, was it Inigo that was telling us the story about, about his early testing of Contador? San Milan? It was, uh, yeah, and what did he say? Inigo San Milan is, is a physiologist here in town. He's been uh, head physiologist at, bike, at pro bike teams for a long time, and we've done a couple podcasts with him. And he was telling us a story, and I, I apologize, a while ago, I'm not going to remember all the, the, the specifics, but basically, uh, Inigo tested Contador, but Contador was still quite young, and uh, they were doing, it was like a VO2 max test or something like that, and Contador ended up standing up for like a large portion of it and something right. he had never seen before. And because they were they had him in a lab, they could tell that he was actually very, very efficient, even while standing. So I don't know exactly, that, that that's kind of a specific, he's a very specific rider. Um, I'm not sure that you should really be trying to emulate that so much. However, there are things that you can do to make yourself more efficient when you're when you're standing. So I actually tried to simulate his, his climbing style. I was uh, going up Magnolias back in 2011 and was trying to teach myself his climbing style to, to see what it was like. And I will tell you that was my fastest time ever up Magnolia, which is a, a really hard climb here in Boulder. Um, where he gets, you see him kind of move his shoulders in this this sync with his hips uh, i can't really describe very well watch a video of it uh dancing but the the big thing that i noticed with it is he is able to do that because he has a phenomenally strong core Hmm. and if you do not have that core it's not just a matter of of trying to emulate what he's doing um i can't i could do it then because i was doing was a lot more focused on my core i've been slipping um, I can't do his climbing style anymore because my core is not strong enough. So to be a climber, you need a good core. So I would say instead of trying to imitate what he's doing, if you want to be a good climber, get lots and lots of core work in. There you go. Yeah. And it, I think that it tends to work better for smaller riders as well, standing, mm-hmm. just as a general rule. Uh, we have more questions here. We are going to cut this off relatively soon. 
so if you have questions, get them in. And as a reminder, uh, I'm Kaylee Fretz. If you missed the beginning, this is Trevor Connor. We uh, we co-produce the Fast Talk podcast from Bella News. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, we highly recommend it. It's lots of nerdy training talk, uh, tech talk, and things like that. The whole goal for us is to make you a, a better bike rider, a better bike racer. A lot of you are bike racers. Uh, better triathlete even. So check that out. Uh, it's pretty easy to find on iTunes. You can also find it on VelaNews.com up at the top. Uh, there's, this, there's a little section called Watch and Listen. You can find all the podcasts. Uh, I'm also on another podcast called the VelaNews Podcast where we discuss racing and uh, what's happening in the pro cycling world and that's with uh, Fred Dreyer and, and Spencer Pallison. So recommend checking that one out as well. But Let's get back to a couple more questions, and so then we're going to wrap this up. We had one that I really want to answer. What are your favorite core uh, workouts? Favorite so core workouts. The first thing should I will... We, should we make them do them? <laughs> we should make them do them. Okay. I should not have tried to answer that question. <laughs> we can move I, the phone. I'd be happy to demonstrate a few. Let's do it. But let, me, let me first... Well, it's uh, I'm missing some of the equipment that I need. Oh, fine. But I no, was, I'm, ha I'm happy to demonstrate a few. We'll just tell you about them. Um, but the first answer to that question is variety. And I know that sounds like a cop-out, but it's not. I had an athlete who was able to hold a plank for 27 minutes. Problem was, all he ever did was planks, and he got really out of balance, and it caused a knee injury. Mm. So we had to, when I found out that he was not doing all the other workouts I gave him, he was just doing planks, I had to get him back to doing a whole variety. And when I send a core routine to an athlete, there is a mix of workouts. Because your core is really pretty much anywhere from your, your knees all the way up to your chest. On both sides of your body, you need to be hitting all of those muscles to keep it in balance. To improve your climbing, uh, you will have limits on yourself. If you have a weak core and you're trying to be a climber, you, I personally feel you have a limit. And I know in races, I can tell core, as soon as we hit a climb, I can tell who has a good core and who doesn't. Because when we stand up on the bike, the guys with a good core, you just see, you see the bike moving, you see the arms moving, you see the legs moving, but it's their, their body is just solid and not moving at all. Um, people have weak core, I call it the, the wet noodle. You just see them kind of flopping back and forth and, and trying to get that power into the bike when they're legs don't really have something to push against is kind of the way i think about it and i just saw myself bouncing back and forth and that looked horrible <laughs> this is slightly delayed yes uh, <laughs> uh let's see any supplements that have helped you recover faster from hard workouts or races um first thing i will say is i am not a fan of supplements i am a big believer in get it through nutrition um, and I have had a lot of athletes who are on supplement cocktails. I got them off of the cocktails, and I have yet to have a case where they didn't actually start feeling better and performing better. That was also combined with improving their nutrition. Um, I know every supplement company out there right now is, is going to hate me for saying this, but I think most supplements are somewhat a waste of time. <laughs> there are a couple that I do recommend just in general and for, for both health and for recovery. Um, most of us need to take some sort of vitamin D uh, because we don't get enough sunlight. Um, I'm also a big fan of, of getting an omega-3 um, supplement. Uh, in terms of recovery, there is one that has been proven 
to be beneficial for cycling, but conditionally beneficial, and that's L-glutamine. You don't need it all the time. You go out and do a one-hour recovery ride, you don't need it. But when you do a long, fatiguing ride, you will often deplete some of your body's stores of L-glutamine. L-glutamine is the primary fuel of your, your gut and of your immune system. So that's part of the reason you can start having digestive issues and you, you can't fight off uh, viruses as well when you're training really hard. So getting some L-glutamine as part of your recovery can really be beneficial. There you go. But only after hard fatiguing rides. Uh, what races are good for beginners in Colorado? Well, we can, we can take uh, the Colorado part out. and maybe Drive not. away from Colorado? <laughs> uh, Colorado is very fast. That's the problem. It's hard. Um, <laughs> no, but, but as a more general question, what kind of races should beginners be looking for? Crits, road races, circuit races. What, what's the most beginner-friendly bike racing, do you think? That's a really good question. Um, if you have truly never done racing before... I would recommend starting with a few road races before crits because you need confidence in a field before you can even think about doing a crit. And if you hop into a crit never having raced before, you're probably going to go straight out the back and be scared out of your wits. So go with races that are a little less technical where you can get the the feel of a field uh, before you try something really technical. Yeah, and, and step one is group rides. Yep. Uh, step one is always going to be group rides. Get get yourself comfortable in a in a peloton, even a small one. Um, learn some of the etiquette, and from there you can step into. I, I would say like yeah, circuit races or road races are probably going to be more friendly to a beginner than a crit. Um, if for no other reason than if you get dropped, you probably still get to finish. Uh, in a crit, if you get dropped, you're probably going to get yanked. And a lot of times that means for a brand new bike racer, through no fault of your own and not even a, in a fitness issue, just a, a technique issue, people end up getting dropped five minutes into their crit and then they get lapped and they get pulled and they just paid you know, for a license and a race entry and they raced for six minutes. So that's kind of a bummer. I, w- I would look for road races and circuit races perfectly personally other thing Um, i will quickly add is don't forget the social aspect of racing especially if you're racing locally you want to meet other racers and ultimately find a team if you haven't found one already so find what everybody else what all the other racers are going to and go to that race and and start meeting people and start racing with the people you're probably going to get to know and race with a lot uh i'm training for a five day one thousand kilometer race in february 2018 how many miles a week should I be doing? Should we do some miles, kilometer? Uh, <laughs> we got both in there. Um, so 660 miles, whatever that is. Uh, in very, very days. long five days. It's basically a little over 100 miles a day. So how many miles a week should Ruth be training? Well, there is the how many should you be training, but there's also the question of what you're used to. If you are training... Typically, say, to go to one extreme, five, six hours a week, and you try to jump up to 18 hours a week, you're going to burn out really quick. You should only ever really increase your training volume uh, season to season, 15, maybe 20% at the most. So I, I know you're looking at those numbers and feeling you have to hit those numbers, but it's still about the best training. And taking you to the race, taking yourself to the race completely burnt out is definitely not going to help you. Um, I would increase your, your weekly tra- 
I mean, if you're already doing 15 hours a week, you're fine. Um, but if you're at lower numbers, try to increase it a bit. More of what I would recommend is you need those building up to it, um, those periodic weeks, maybe once every six weeks or even once a month, where you do three, four, five days in a row of some big volume. You don't need to do that sort of volume, but do three, four hours a day and get your body used to training um, long day after day after day. And like I said, if you do that three, four times leading up to this event, I think that more than anything is going to help you get ready for this. Uh, Kurt asks a bike fit question, and mm -hmm. I should say that neither of us are, are you know, certified bike fitters people <laughs> however i think we can probably help with this one um if i'm having problems being comfortable on the bike because of a lack of flexibility would you recommend i switch from from a tcr so it's like a race bike made by giant uh to something like a giant defy which is more an endurance bike so slightly higher front end uh more relaxed geometry i do some races will the difference in bikes hurt my chances the difference in bikes will not really hurt your chances if the bike fits properly. That is the number one yes. uh, priority and number one concern. Uh, the Defy is in and of itself not a slower bike than the TCR. Uh, the only difference is the geometry is set up slightly differently for uh, a different, essentially, flexibility and shape of rider. Uh, and so there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't win bike races on a giant Defy. Uh, and if a TCR is too aggressive for your flexibility, then yeah, I would I would go with the go with the bike that fits. That's uh, that's always rule number one. Kayla's going to hate me for saying this, and so is every bike manufacturer. But I'm still a believer, and you really can't feel the frame. Um, and I will always say that. And I was actually involved in a study where they tested that, and, and that was the conclusions of the study. You had three contact points on the bike: the handlebars, the saddle, and the the pedals. Um, so focus on those. And you can position those pretty much in the same place on almost any bike. Um, so in terms of comfort and, and keeping your, your body functional, those are the three things that you need to be focusing on, and that's fit. I think the, the frame's going to have a little less to do with that. I do think the geometry of frame can affect how the bike performs in different, you know, cornering, you know, is it a climbing, descending bike, a yeah. crip bike? Yeah, it can affect that. That said, most endurance bikes these days, they say that they're like endurance geometry. They're really, really, really close to race geometry uh, because, you know, basically geometry has been figured out at this point and they just really don't deviate all that much. So you could race, like, for example, Specialized Roubaix, uh, it's their, it's their endurance bike, right? It's their, like, upright bike. Uh, you could race that bike in a crit. No problem at all, race that bike in a crit. Yeah. I think this is the last question. Okay. Very last question. Uh, from John, how much weight training do you recommend during the season? I do zero. It's too buff already. Kelly, when was the last time you were in the weight room? <laughs> like years ago. Ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ask him. Uh, this is one of those things that I'm really happy about because I've been saying this for a while and everybody went, no, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're completely wrong. And now all of a sudden the pros are doing this. So I, I have once or twice in my life had something that then became a trend. So now I, I convinced myself I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Cycling should just always listen to Trevor. That's, that's yeah. what it comes down to. Well, I have these moments. So it was like back when everybody was inflating their tires to 160 PSI and I was going, why are you doing that? 
And now everybody's like, no, you'd never do that. Um, Hi, Cody Landstrom. I haven't seen you in a long time. Hey, fantastic. (laughs) Um, I do believe in weight training through the year. Uh, You need to keep your body functional. When you are riding the bike a lot because you have no eccentric motion, there is a a lot of atrophy that can happen. And you talk to any pros, they will tell you by the end of the season, they are feeling weak. Um, you, you see the, the kyphosis start to, I'm mispronouncing that, uh, start to appear. You start to see a lot of issues appearing. And you really want to keep your body functional and strong through the season. So yes, you do the bulk of your weight training in the off season, but I think doing something during the season is important. So I have a, a reduced weight plan that I do once the season's at its height, I have a reduced weight plan that I do through the rest of the year that involves lighter weights that I try to lift a little more explosively. Um, it takes about 30 minutes versus in the winter I'm doing about an hour. <laughs> I'm just hour. picturing Trevor lifting explosively. Yeah, you've seen it. Um, I do it twice a week. And, and the other thing that I, I, I love is just some conditioning uh, body type uh, weight type work, like doing some lunge walks, even some lunge jumps. Um, doing, especially at this time of year, multi-joint motion. So get off of the machines where you're, you're doing uh, just focusing on your quads or just focusing on your hamstrings. Instead, lots of squats, lots of single leg squats, even some double leg squats. Um, but but multi-joint motions and no I'm not going to demonstrate again <laughs> I hope that that's that's kind of a short answer and I apologize uh, but I, I think to summarize I think you do should do something through the year uh, probably just twice a week at this point during the season 30 minutes lighter weight um, a little more explosively and multi-joint there you go all right that's our final question uh Huge thank you to everyone who sent in questions today. Uh, we, we will probably do this again next time we record a bunch of Fast Talks, which is going to be the August. After the, of August. Yeah, right after the Tour de France. Uh, it's great to, to just have this sort of interaction with, uh, yeah. with listeners. We really, really enjoy it. And, and I will say that, and, and I know Trevor said this at the beginning, these answers are nowhere near as in-depth as when we actually make the podcast and can do some research. So... Uh, we really do recommend that you go and and you know, on iTunes or Stitcher, or Google yep. Play, or whatever your preferred podcast network is, uh, go look for the Velo News podcasts, uh, Fast Talk, and the Velo News podcast, which is the racing podcast. Uh, I'm on both. Trevor is uh, is my co-host here on Fast Talk. Uh, they're very very easy to find on the internet, uh, and I think that's about it. Thank you very much for tuning in and keep an eye out for lots more podcast goodness coming from Velonews. Uh well we just put sprinting up yesterday so <laughs> imminently there's a new fast talk uh, new fast talk up, up last night and or yesterday and there'll be another one in 2 weeks and the Velonews podcast is weekly so we always have some good stuff for you thanks all right take care